Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. On this episode, we're exploring work-life teams. In order to successfully navigate your work-life balance, you need a team. They need to know their roles and they will change over time. Bobby Ivanova is joining us today. She's a managing director and investment strategist at Simplify. Simplify is an asset manager of ETF option-based strategies. Bobby started her career as a risk manager at Goldman Sachs and grew to oversee $30 billion in AUM on behalf of institutional clients. Bobby holds an MBA from the University of Canterbury, a bachelor's degree from the International Business School, and is a CFA charter holder. Bobby and her husband are from Bulgaria and a few years ago moved with their boys to New Zealand so she could pursue her MBA degree. Currently, they live and enjoy the great outdoors in Park City, Utah. Welcome, Bobby, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thank you, Christine, and thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you. And as I know, um, since we spoke recently, you are currently an empty nester for the summer. How is that going with having the boys gone? Yes, a great question. Actually, there's all kinds of emotions going on. For reference, we just sent our kids uh, by themselves to visit family in Bulgaria last week, and they're 13 and 16, and that's really weird because we've never had them away for that long, and I'm almost getting a glimpse of what could it be when they're actually out of this house and go to school. So it's weird. Yes. <laughs> Lots of freedom, but then I miss them a lot. Absolutely. Yes. The freedom and the missing. How long are they going to be gone? For two and a half months. They're coming back mid-August. So the entire summer. Wow. What experiences they're going to have. You're going to have tons to talk about. And um, I'm sure you'll, you'll be talking with them throughout the summer too. But that is fantastic. What an amazing opportunity. That is so great. So I, I love that we start that way because we're talking on this show about work-life teams and I'm really interested in what our listeners think about how they pull together their own work-life teams in order to find balance. We, we often talk about this whole idea of this elusive balance, but in order to even be successful in both our career and our life, we need to form teams that support us. So give us a story, Bobby. Like, What is it and when was it that you really discovered what a work-life team looked like? Yes, thank you. So um, in 2014, uh, I found myself transitioning from a full-time mom to a four and seven-year-old boys to starting as an analyst at Goldman Sachs. So that was crazy to begin with, but like really like just different type of pressures going on. So at Goldman, I was working on over-the-counter foreign exchange, exotic trades such as binary double knockout. Who even knows what those are? Anyway, super stressful and millions of dollars per trade. But then on the other side, if I compare that to raising two active boys that were constantly getting in trouble, I actually don't know which one was more stressful. Uh, and honestly, I think the scariest was like our son fell off the fence once and that was so scary. But anyway, when I look at it, like, 
and, and that time transitioning to being a mom, to working 12 hours straight at a very stressful environment, what changed was really my husband was able to step in and still like help out with a lot of things and spending a lot more time with the kids. And that transition really happened very smooth in our household. Wow, it happened smooth. So take us through that. How is it that you were able to have a smooth transition from stay-at-home mom to 12-hour days? Like, was there a lot of conversations? (laughs) Like, how did that work out? I mean, like, it's not like it wasn't stressful. I actually, when I first started at Goldman, uh, it was just lavender tea. (laughs) I would go in the office, and I love coffee for reference. I would just go in the office and brew lavender tea because I was so pumped. It was like so stressful. In the morning, you'll get like morning queue coming from London, New York queue coming right back at it. And it was absolutely stressful. But then having a solid partner that can at least help with the family stuff and can focus on the boys and can be there for them. It, it was really important because I didn't have to stress as much for the kids because I know that my husband is equally capable of taking care of them as well as I am. Right. I think it's funny you talk about lavender tea when I kind of escaped the coffee addiction through you know undergrad, grad school, first job, all of that. I was not a coffee drinker. And then I'm living in Maine, but my job is in San Diego. And so I'm flying, you know, twice a month out to San Diego, spending a few days there, working like 20 hour days so that I can come home and have, you know, a number of days where I'm barely working at all and really being full-time mom. And I decided very early on not to drink coffee because I felt like I would get addicted to the need to have coffee in order to function every day. And so red eyes, all of that. I should have discovered lavender tea because that probably would have soothed me, but I was just a water drinker. And so I would go into meetings and there would always be coffee, always be coffee. And I would always be like, I just need a bottle of water. But it was the thing that I focused on to assure that I kept in control of the schedule that I had. Um, It wasn't until later on when I started actually just working in Boston, living in Maine, everything was a lot easier. And then coffee sort of slipped into my life unknown because I sort of let my guard down. But I love the idea that we can have that one thing for you, knowing that there was going to be a calmness to the chaos of starting a new job with the types of trades you were making, the types of work that you were doing. And lavender tea became became that thing of solace um, through your life. That's fantastic. So as I mentioned before, we hear a lot about work-life balance, but what does a work-life team actually mean to you? And and how did that enable your transition into Goldman? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so we really call it work-life teams is when I look at it in our family, we have four players and we tackle our goals and our responsibilities together as a team. So for example, like my husband and I, we don't necessarily have prescribed responsibility we're very flexible of who does what on and that can change on a day-to-day basis for example we have that rule of thumb of the person that comes home earlier cooks dinner and it's just a very obvious thing and we don't necessarily even have to say that when I think about it when I started at Goldman that was definitely not me just because I would come home at eight o'clock at night and by that time, kids will already have dinner with my husband because they're not going to wait till eight, eight, nine o'clock to have dinner. And don't get me wrong. I don't mind cooking dinner. It's just 
working 12 hours straight, I literally did not have the availability to do so. So in a way, like my husband and I are first backup for each other on like literally any responsibility we have to do. And we also play backup for our kids, depending on what they need help with. And throughout their years, like that has changed, of course, quite a lot. So you say there's four players. So totally understand this whole backup for each other and, you know, both of you being willing to sort of step in on the things that need to be done. And instead of being like, who's the best person to do it? It may just be who's the available person to do it. But what about your boys? Did they feel part of the team? Did they have responsibilities even at a young age for being part of the work-life team that you were pulling together? Yes, uh, absolutely. So when I look at it, we when they were younger, obviously less responsibility, but they do help out around put the dishes or other small tasks. But idea is that like through their life, we are constantly, we're looking at it on a day-to-day basis. What do we have to do and what do we want to do? So for example, just in the skiing season, we, in the morning, we'll go skiing together and in the afternoon we'll do chores. And we're like, okay, we need to finish those three, four things. Everybody grab something, let's wrap it up, and then we can do a movie night or something. And it could be the other way around. We might go and like, oh, let's finish chores in the morning and let's go fishing in the afternoon. But every one of us is like doing something, being busy, helping now, and we look at it collectively. What do we want to do and what do we have to do and how do we actually get both of those done together? And what does living so far from... Bulgaria mean? So do you have a lot of family here that moved with you? Are you alone? Um, and what does that mean for the team that you've you've pulled together? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have no extended family in the U.S. because uh, both my husband and I are from Bulgaria, like grandparents, cousins, uh, brothers, sisters, they're all in Bulgaria. So in a way, I feel like that has helped us have a stronger relationship because you the only people that you can rely on are those four people. I guess the doc came in later. (laughs) We do have a fifth family member now, but really it's a small, very small uh, type uh, team that we have just by default. So maybe in a way that has helped us get there because we don't have the extended family. We do, we try to go visit every year, but that's not always possible. So I have a 16-year-old son, and I would say that he's a pretty good team player, but I have to do a lot to, like, get him prepared for, like, the weekend. So, you know, he's going to fill up his whole – he's a very social kid, so he'll fill up his whole weekend with friends and activities and everything that he wants to do. So I've got to, like, alert him way ahead of time that – his father's going to need some help like Saturday afternoon because my husband's an architect and they're, you know, he's building a new, new something off the side of our house because we're always, we're always doing something at the house or I'm going to need help with something. And I feel like I have to sort of reserve my son's time um, for that. It sounds like you maybe have a, a different way of communicating, but take us through how the boys and your husband and yourself are made aware of what the family needs are. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Communication is so important. And with the teenagers, I completely agree there. Like they always need that heads up for to get mentally prepared of what the day's going to look like. So, for example, if I tell them on the day of, hey, we have uh, family friends are coming over for dinner. 
they are always upset that I haven't told them in advance. <laughs> it's funny, like they almost have to get mentally prepared that people are coming over for dinner, but communication, and I'm cognizant of that, just communicating and giving them that information in advance. So even when I look at broadly, like executing goals or how we're going to do X and Y and Z, it's just really like making sure that those clear expectations are met and we kind of walk through the process. And I'll give you I'll give you an example. When I was sitting for the CFA, it usually like takes about five months of crazy amount of studying. We will talk about it and we're going to prescribe to them like over the next five months, mom is still going to be working 60 hours a week and then she's adding 40 hours of study time. That means all questions go to dad. <laughs> it means also if you see mom sitting behind the computer doing a test or studying, don't interrupt. And like telling them in advance, this is what's going to look like for the next five months. But then after those five months, then we can actually, mom's going to have a lot more free time. You get to plan a lot around what you're going to do on the weekend. You can pick things and you can be like, hey, mom, let's do that. And she will have a lot more of that flexibility but really comes down to making sure that you're clearly communicating ahead of time, setting those expectations. And I don't want to say it's perfect. Of course, it's not perfect. <laughs> like I remember some of those early studying days, our younger son would just storm him and interrupt me. That would happen quite a few times. And you just reiterate the message and just like, can you please take the question to your dad? I am just really trying to focusing on getting this over when I'm done in whatever, two, three months you can have my undevoted attention. So it does take a little bit of repetition. I feel like with boys, that's a general thought anyway. Like you do need to say a few times and they do get it, but it's never perfect. But at least we strive to do have a good communication in our household. Absolutely. And I think I've shared this before in the podcast, but one of the things that I did early on with my girls was I had an office at home and my job is in San Diego. I'm spending a few days there every other week. And then otherwise I'm working from home, but I'm, you know, trying to set my schedule. Plus it's three hours difference. So I've got, you know, really good time in the morning that I can spend with them. But then after that, if, especially when they're young or they get home from school and they've got something to share and they want to tell me, you know, they come to my office door and they knock. And then if I knock back, then they go away <laughs> unless <laughs> someone is bleeding or there's some crisis or they can't find dad and you know, and, and then the times where they do come in and interrupt me, you know, it can't be that the Barbie's brush got stuck in her hair. You know, it, it can't be that can't pull up the, the little pants on, the, on their little teddy bear. So it just became this like routine that they knew. And I was really trying to be respectful of them too. Like if, if they wanted me in that moment, unless I was on a call or something was sort of urgently in my mind that I was working on, I would try to be interruptible because I wanted them to know that they were such a priority in my life, but also that they had to respect the job that enabled the life that we were leading. And, you know, that, that was important to me. So as we think about these practical steps of creating this work-life team that enables you to, you know, have a successful career and a successful family. It's not perfect. There's lots of things that can go wrong, but you've talked about a couple of them. You've talked about setting goals as a team. You've talked a bit about communication and what that looks like and trying to give information up front, getting a heads up, having very specific conversations with all members, which is 
actually raise my hand. One of my issues were five people in my work life team. And I invariably sort of leave someone out of the communication and they're coming back to me. So now we have little group texts and things like that. And I'm always trying to sort of reiterate so I don't leave anyone out of the communication loop. And frankly, if my sisters are listening, they're going to say that I have not succeeded with them on that either. So um, note to self, get better at it. But what is an additional practical step that people can take when they think about forming and um, relying on their work-life team? Um, so I think for me, it's always been also asking, proactively asking for constructive feedback. So I feel maybe people do that very well in the workplace to some regard, or they do get constructive feedback. Because in my view, we're constantly learning. If you stop learning, you're doing something wrong. So on the family side, though, it's kind of different to ask for constructive feedback. Because ultimately, kids are very blunt and they'll just come and tell you the truth in your face. It's, they're not going to make it pretty in any way. But I do want them to first feel like their voices are being heard. And also that I take that in consideration because maybe I'm thinking I'm doing okay. But if they come and tell me otherwise, I will take that in consideration or for example, they'll come and say, mom, I actually don't like it when you raise your voice. And that does happen. And I do work on it. But it's really important for me that I do take that constructive feedback as it's a two-way street, really. Just because I'm the parent it doesn't mean that their voice is not important. And I want to know really how they feel. So they're free to share and tell me any constructive feedback that they have. Oh, I love that. I'm not a big yeller. I, I was raised in a loud house, and so I tend to not ever yell or shout, but my my kids would sort of accuse me of it, and I always be really like, don't yell at me, and I'm like, I am not even raising my voice, but my tone and apparently my face <laughs> shows yelling, and so that was finally the constructive feedback is like, we can tell by the look on your face, and so I was always trying to like relax my face before we went into a tense situation so that they didn't read from me words that I didn't want to say. And so those kind of constructive feedback is kind of hard to hear sometimes, especially in the heat. Um, but I love that idea of leaving space for the kids to say, this is what's working for me. This is what's not working for me. And then raising kids that that can do that and can be advocates for themselves. That's fantastic. What about help? I mean, it sounds like you didn't have a lot of it with not having extended family. We we didn't for a long time in Maine either. My sister now lives here, but you know, it's it's still just hard without grandparents around and and others of another generation that can help. So, how is it that you get help in your work life team? So, ultimately, we just solely rely on ourselves. Uh, we don't. I mean, we have close friends that if we need be, we can possibly leave the kids to them for, for a weekend, but we tend to really not do that. We're solely like responsible of them, except if like this case, we're actually sending them to Bulgaria for the summer, which is the first time they're both gone. So still getting that thought process. It's very quiet in my house. Yes. But I think it's important to, when I look at it, when you're asking being open to ask for help, like the mindset. And, and I'll give an example here. I remember I was maybe first or second year at Goldman. It was like super intense quarter end period, a ton of things happening. And at the time, my husband, my, uh, no, my son, our youngest son, Dylan, was traveling to Bulgaria with his grandma and was coming back. 
So we get a phone call uh, from there at the airport that there was issues with their travel authorization and Bulgarian authorities wouldn't let him leave the country without his parents. And it was completely like just dropped on us like this. So we, long story short, we did have to travel to California and get the authorization properly, ship it over FedEx. But at the time, it was super busy at work. And my younger self that was still like trying to build credibility in the team, I did not raise my hand to say, hey, can someone pick up X work for me tomorrow because I'm going to be too busy because I'm traveling to California and all of that. And I ultimately look at it now as I should have been able to raise my hand and say, hey, this kind of extraordinary situation that's happening in my personal life, can somebody like pick it up? I just felt at the time that if I'm asking for help, I am really just not fulfilling the obligation I said that I would. And I was like, and letting the team down. So what I did was I just traveled the whole day, came back, did all my work till like 3 a.m. in the morning and still finished it. But later on, I realized that was not the right decision. And I should have voiced this out and really not be afraid to ask for help and raise my hand and like really those extraordinary circumstances. Oh, I can completely (laughs) just feel you in this because I know that when I was traveling across country for my job for so many years, I felt like asking for help was a sign of failure that I wanted to always be seen as the person who would always get it done, always be reliable, always, always be the one that people wanted to ask help from, never the one that would seek help. And it really was was sort of a, a a terrible decision point in my life to do this because people want to be sought out. People want to be helpful to you. Now, of course, if you're, you know, leaving it for every day and, you know, sort of dropping the rest of your work on all of the people you work with, not a good idea, right? You know, but in those times of sort of crisis, those times of really needing others to help, being able to share a bit of your life and saying, you know, this is what's going on and need a few of you to come around me and, and assure that we're not dropping the ball on a client, we're not dropping a ball on a, on a project, you know, we're not disappointing someone. I think people want to be part of that. You know, they, they want to help and, and in turn, they need your help later too. And it gives them sort of permission to ask for help in return. And so I feel like I was so closed and so private about my life and, you know, where I actually lived and how many kids I had and all those things, because I didn't want to be seen as a burden to those around me. And that was just a big learning in my life that, you know, seeking help and sort of creating that community that wants to help each other at work was so key. So completely on your side with that one. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this work-life team, not only because I really feel like you've got such a interesting perspective on it and have been successful, although we all know that there are days where it doesn't feel that way, is because you have also raised your family bilingual. So talk a little bit about that decision, how that leads itself also to how you work as a family and what that experience has been like for your boys. So how I look at it, like when we had our kids and it was not a question if our kids will speak Bulgarian. That was like a must. And reason being is like our entire family is in Bulgaria and the grandparents don't speak English. So when I look at it, that would be my biggest failure if I raise uh, two kids that cannot communicate with their grandparents. So 
putting that in perspective, they had to. So, for example, we at, at our house, we have rules that we only speak Bulgarian when it's the four of us. If we have guests or other English speaking, we can speak English. But if it's only the four of us, we, we have to speak Bulgarian. And that was not always easy. As you can imagine, kids growing up and their vocabulary picking up, they will start to think about topics that uh, the boys talk to each other, that it's actually easier for them to speak in English than in Bulgarian. Just they didn't know those vocabulary. And we would just constantly be like, uh, Bulgarian, please. <laughs> if you don't know the word, ask me and I, I can help you learn it. But like constantly reinforcing that, that they have to, first off. And then second, I guess it's, making sure that they have enough exposure to the family and they're visiting enough. So they actually do have some of that cultural elements too. And it's not just, I don't know, it's cooking, it's the, the way of how we perceive life and it's just different culture. So I want to make sure that they do have that as well as I, we actually give them a traditional Bulgarian names. I'm not sure how, like they have struggled a little bit. I honestly was like, I want them to have a traditional Bulgarian name. So maybe I was a bit too selfish. And oh my gosh, what if those are really hard names and kids tease them because they're so different? I mean, they did have their challenges with uh, with the name for in particular. Yeah, well, probably when they were younger. And but I think now we're really becoming much more sensitive to multicultural society that we're building here, right? So I would imagine there's probably more pride now in their name. Are you finding that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think for, so our youngest one, his name is Valen. And when people hear the name Valen, they're like, oh my gosh, where's that name from? He's always getting that interesting conversation happening because people like look at it and it's like, it's not very popular. And actually in Bulgarian means great. So it's a great name. Uh, (laughs) Funny story, when we lived in New Zealand, they, because it's spelled V-E-L-I-N, it was they had their accent makes all of the a sounds sound e so they were like villain villain and at one point he just went out fully embraced it and he'll go and say i'm villain like the bad guy and he's <laughs> the sweetest boy but i was like oh my gosh i was like why is this so hard and in america he actually does not have that issue and people just call him villain um and Yuzuru was interesting though Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, sometimes you just have to sort of embrace things and uh, roll with it. But oh, what what a good kid. That's awesome. Wow. So we have made it to our last question. I am so thankful for this great conversation about how we can team with our families to really have a more successful time of balancing our work and our life. So our last question is about a book. Um, as everyone knows, I'm a aspiring author and um, absolutely love what story can do to sort of expand our minds and get us thinking in in new directions. So what book do you have for us, Bobby, that you would recommend to our listeners? So I'm currently reading Meditation by Marcus Aurelius. I know it's a quite popular book, but this book for me, it's so deep. If readers haven't read it before, I highly recommend it. There's a couple of things I want to highlight, and I feel like if different people read that book, we'll probably highlight different things out of it. But there's there's something that uh, Marcus talks about being present. And he, and I quote from the book that he says that concentrate every minute like a Roman and free yourself from distraction. 
And I, it's so like I've pondered on this, like this was written almost like 2000 years ago. And how is he having the same struggle? Like what we do now with being distracted by social media, like very busy work life, like with work, with kids, with responsibility, outside activities, it would just get pulled in so many directions. And I feel like almost like it's a key to happiness, to be present, to appreciate what we have today. Obviously, he also says we don't have tomorrow, but it's like just having time to like reflect and see where you're at and be happy and with your current achievements and with what you did today versus obviously goals are goals and striving and moving forward. But like, don't miss those opportunities to appreciate really what you have going on today. I think it's such a powerful message from this book that I often remind myself of it just because it's, I think it just helps me get perspective and to where I'm going in life by appreciating today. I agree. Um, when Michelle came on, she recommended this book as well. So I love that you are coming back to it for us. And um, because of that, I actually bought it for my husband. We're, we've we both read the Bible as well. And so these feel a lot like Proverbs, which I just love. They're just like little nuggets of sort of a deep understanding. And the fact that both Proverbs and Marcus Aurelius's meditations were written so long ago and are still so applicable is just, it kind of blows my mind. And I'm going to read one too that just has stuck with me. It says, it can ruin your life only if it ruins your character. Otherwise, it cannot harm you inside or out. And I love that he doesn't specify what it is, but that it only harms you if it harms your character. And and I think about all the kind of hardships that we go through life and all the things that are can be truly just devastating to us. But if we don't allow it to harm our character and we still sort of retain, you know, a love for people, a love for ourselves, um, if we have faith, a love for our God, then you know, it really can harm us. And so I thank you for kind of bringing this book back to the attention of our listeners, because in the end, it, it really is about sort of finding that character within you and, and nurturing it. And I think this is a good example of, of a book that does that. So thank you, Bobby. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Christine. This has been great. It has been great. And yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I look forward to our next conversation. Well, sounds good. Thanks, Christine. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.